Hey folks, welcome to Narratives. Narratives is a podcast exploring the ways in which the world is better than in the past, the ways it is worse, and the paths towards a better, more definite vision of the future. I'm your host, Will Jarvis, and I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to this episode. I hope you enjoy it. You can find show notes, transcripts, and videos at narrativespodcast.com. Well, Nathan, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show. Um, do you mind giving a brief bio and some of the big ideas you're interested in? Oh, that's a good that's a good opener question. I like the big idea aspect of it. Um, the bio is I am kind of like in the intersection of writing and technology building and uh, like business building, basically internet business building. Uh, I've kind of worked on a bunch of different stuff all circling around that. So right now I'm the co-founder of a company called Every that is a writer collective focused on business. Specifically, we publish writing that like explores the nature of businesses and humans that that you know work in and operate these businesses. So everything from like, you know, exploring your inner demons that may lead you to make certain mistakes when building a team to how are Spotify's earnings looking, you know, <laughs> a lot of a, a pretty wide range. Um and that's a lot of fun. I spend a lot of my time writing and editing and like, you know, re- recruiting writers and and just thinking about, uh, you know, where we want to take the company. Uh, before this, I was the first employee at Substack, uh, which ended up being a thing that I don't have to explain as often what it is as I used to, which is really cool. Because um, when I was there, it was like, what's that, you know? And so it's really, really amazing to see what the founders have done with that. Um, I was only there for about like, a uh, year and a half, it was kind of like a short-ish stint because I really do like a broad variety of things and they just needed someone who's like an amazing programmer. And that's one of the things I do, but I'm definitely not amazing at it. So it was kind of like, we did it for a little while and we all liked each other, but it like the skill job to be done need thing was not exactly a fit. Um, before that, I was head of product at Gimlet Media, a podcasting company that got acquired by Spotify. Um, started a company called Hardbound uh, that was like a mobile tappable storytelling format that was like very visual and kind of just a different kind of pacing and feel from um, kind of like a slide deck almost um, kind, kind of a feel. So yeah, just done a bunch of stuff sort of like that to varying degrees of success um, and uh, hopefully can keep doing it for a while because it's it's fun. That's awesome. Um, and ideas, ideas I'm thinking about. So mostly these days I'm, I'm the ideas I'm thinking about are kind of like what I said every is thinking about of like the nature of businesses and humans. Um, Specifically, I'm really interested in strategy. Like um, I feel like there's this whole genre of uh, like pseudo or semi-academic literature around how to company, like what kind of decisions should companies make that would like lead to success. I think of it as like, uh, like economic patterns, you know, it's like applied microeconomics or something like that. And, um, you know, it's like the kind of stuff you learn in strategy class at, at business school or whatever, but I haven't gone to business school. And so I, w- I want to learn it. And I'm just exploring the literature on my own and writing about it and trying to trying to apply it. So that with like a strong dosing of like kind of personal reflection stuff, I would say. Uh, and definitely all of it kind of like startup and media oriented. 
That's cool. That's cool. Well, well, I want to ask a question that kind of ties all these things together. Um, you know, you're studying strategy. You work in media. You've worked in a lot of media companies. Um, how do you think about positioning every in a way that uh, it can, in, in some sense, avoid competition? It seems like the big problem with media companies is it's very difficult to avoid competition because you know there's like you're not just competing with um, you know newspapers. You're competing with you know Wikipedia and and, and you know YouTube and like yeah. you know maybe I do a podcast and you know, like the transcript and you know someone wants to read the transcript and you're competing with that. How do you think about like avoiding competition as a media company? Yeah, I think I think it's it's a really really important question and it's a hard one and I don't think that we are amazing at it yet. There's like a theory we have of a flywheel that we're trying to build and I think if there's like a sort of meta reflection about startups that I've learned it's that um kind of with startups like it's good to have a good strategy and it should be basically simple and then like 99.9% of your time and energy is focused on all the complex difficult like execution stuff to get that thing going and so you have to know about strategy because the like thing you're building needs to actually be in the kind of form of a defensible thing but like very early on you can kind of nail down some really simple basics and then probably you're basically sticking with that and like maybe there's some weird pivots or you're totally wrong or there's some inflection points or whatever but like for the most part the, the kind of strategy part should be simple but the execution part is just really really hard um so but to answer your question at the more like object level where i can get more specific about like what is our defensibility so like our goal is to be a place where if you want to reach a certain type of audience, you definitely want to go as a writer because um, let's say you want to write about um, you know anything related to like the nature of businesses or humans, like basically the topics we cover, um, which I think a decent amount of people do. Our our rough tam is like business section of the bookstore. You know, we want to be able to cover a wide variety of sub genres and, and stuff within that, um, and to be able to personalize content to users, um, over time. But like to start, we're very like, kind of like Silicon Valley, like tech Twittery oriented. Um, and so if you want to, if you want to do that kind of writing or, or do that kind of thinking, um, what are your options? You can start your own Substack, and you, it's entirely on you to get anyone to pay attention to it. Okay. So then you have a Twitter account and you do some tweets and it's entirely on you to get anyone to pay attention to it at some step. Every single bit of audience is decided by a human or an algorithm being like, actually, other people should also see this. And you don't really have direct control over that. You can submit the content a lot of places. That's what's in your control. But the exposure that that content then receives is up to other control of other structures, like people who see it and decide to hit the retweet button or algorithms that say we think this thing is good or editors that say we think this thing is good. And so... Um, you know, uh, Substack, unlike YouTube or TikTok or a lot of platforms, is not doing algorithmic recommendation of content. You can't just post something to Substack and then get automatic audience. Um, and email is a great medium for retention. It's not a great medium for virality. Sometimes people forward things a little bit, but it's not really like a place. Usually you're, well, the vast majority of people grow on Substack from other places like Twitter. There's like this sort of symbiotic relationship there. Um, so every, we want to be a place where as a writer, maybe you just want to do one guest post where we sort of syndicate something for you or you write something original for us and we can send it to 50,000 people, which is our current size. And that's pretty great. There's not a lot of places where you can go and someone just decides they think your thing would be good for their audience and 50,000 people will see it. In the future, hopefully that's 100,000 people, a million people. And maybe actually it's, you know, 
we have a million people on our list, but we know the hundred thousand that would be into your thing, you know, and or we can send it to a small subset, measure the reaction, and then start gradually sending it to bigger and bigger waves of, of audience. And so um, it's just all about audience aggregation, basically. And um, we have a philosophy of sort of hybrid uh, human judgment and algorithmic uh, sort of automated judgment. Um, but the algorithms are very opinionated. We think about them like automated editors rather than like some neutral platformy type thing. Like we only put stuff into the algorithm that we already basically think is good. And then from there on out, it's just a question of uh, making decision, human decision making more efficient, basically, and giving the human uh, superpowers and sort of like x-ray vision of like, how is this actually performing based on our best ways of detecting that? Um, so anyway, kind of long-winded answer to short question, but audience, uh, it's, it's, it's all about audience aggregation for us. Yeah. So it's something like a distribution monopoly at the end of the day is what it yeah. really is. Yeah. Is and it's like, it's hard to say monopoly in this context. Cause it's like, right. you know, there's other people who are going to also have audiences and we really like them, but we think we're more focused on trying to find people that like, if you have re a really popular newsletter and you have like, you know, a hundred thousand subscribers or more, um, but You've built that on the premise of it's only your work, right? Right. It's hard to all of a sudden go from that to like the next day being like, and actually five days a week, I've got other people's writing in here. Like that's a whole complicated, completely different system. And that's the path we're on and figuring out. And, and the 50,000 people we have on our list are like expecting different people all the time. So that's the, uh, monopoly is maybe a little bit strong, but it's definitely, there's something sticky about the way that you got your audience and their expectations allowing you to do certain things. Definitely. Definitely. That makes sense. And and how do you go about choosing, you know, writers or, or content creators? Uh, do you look for a certain spark? Is there like, do you look for just somebody with a large effect size? Like just like something like really grabs people's attention. It's really interesting. Like, is it just kind of all qualitative? Like how do you, you mentioned like you also use like algorithmic, uh, you know, algorithms to help make decisions, but there is a human element. And, and what does that human element look like? Yeah. I mean, it's just purely like, uh, do I like this? And that's for me, like, and I'm not the only person, right? So it's like, Dan, my co-founder, does he like yeah. this? Katie, our editor, does she like this? Like Evan, one of, he writes a newsletter called Napkin Does he like anybody who's kind of like in can use their power to bring other people in. And it's great. Cause we kind of consider ourselves to be very pluralistic where it's like, every doesn't have to have a really uniform tone or vibe. It has to be uniform enough to like have the audience, have us be able to connect the dot right between writer and reader to have the writing that we choose be pleasing to the readers, but it doesn't have to be so uniform that it's like one singular taste. Um, but definitely if there's one main thing that uh, we've learned so far, it's like if there's something that we really like and it's on the topics that we cover for the, you know, the same type of people, the people who are on our list are going to like it too. It's usually not a huge surprise when something does really well or not well. There's surprises for sure. It's not like we can pr predict every time how something's going to do, but it's to the point where it's like, okay, like we kind of have a feel, you know? Kind of got an eye for it at the end of the day. At least for serving our current audience. Now, the big question is how do we get to 10x the size of audience? Like maybe what got us here won't get us there. And there's like a whole other problem there. But like, um, it's very like, I can tell you like the, the things that go into what I like, but it's very much just like, you know, the feeling when you're reading something like, oh, this is interesting. Like, it's yeah. just like this, this little thing where you're like, oh, I am actually interested in this. There's some spark here. And um, if you feel it, then it's there and you don't have to overanalyze what made the thing happen, you know, because <laughs> other people will like it too. So you don't have to know why. 
That's right. It's kind of like obscenity. You kind of know it when you see it. Like you're like, oh, that, 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 yeah. that's interesting. And it might help to know why. It's fun to theorize about why. But all you have to do is just detect if you're feeling it or not and then pass along if you are, basically. That's right. That's right. Um, I, how do you think about expanding your audience yourself? You know, is it, uh, you know, like every audience, is it uh, just trying to attack like um, in concentric circles, like things that are closely related to your core subject matter and kind of expanding out like that, that strategy piece? Or is it kind of uh, just a different approach? Is it ads or, or something else? Yeah. Um, y- you know, I wish that we had this like more figured out. So what we've done is uh, just took to start, like my co-founder and I, we were like, it would be cool to create some sort of, you know, collective type newsletter organization instead of everybody doing completely their own thing because it's so hard to do it on your own. And so we'll start by just writing our own newsletters and then we'll see if other people want to write newsletters with us. And we just sort of like gradually added people from there. So it's like a whole bunch of Venn diagrams with the different levels of overlap um, depending depending on the topic and the vibe and whatever else. And it's all vaguely clustered around, you know, tech-ish stuff. And... We went through a time early on when we were like, maybe we should like, let's be really deliberate about this. Let's think about it like risk. Like what's the map of the world? What are all the topics? What topics are connected to what other topics? And how do we like go from here to there and be like, let's cover every industry. And we just found that that's really artificial. Like there are people interested in a very specific industry, but um, you know, there's, there's more, I think, important ways of slicing and dicing interests that are less obvious and almost in some ways the more obvious it is the less powerful it is because it's like you could just ask me like nathan are you interested in startups i'm like i mean i guess like basically yes but it depends there's 90 percent of startup content's terrible i have zero interest in it you know and so it's like how do you then apply that it's like a form of whatever like gel man and amnesia or whatever yeah. where um, you know, the idea is when they're talking about something uh, related to you, you're like, that's all wrong. And then when they talk about something else, you think that it makes perfect sense. So it's like, there's this sort of form of gel man amnesia with um, like figuring out how to segment audience interests where it's like, when you're talking about me and like startups, I don't know, like it has to be good. 90% of it's bad, whatever. But then I'm like, oh, for other people, I can just cover like, you know, healthcare and we'll just find a healthcare person and it'll be fine. And it's like, that's really not how like people's passions or interests or feelings like work. And you have to go on something more organic than that. And, and I really wish that it was more like we could be more deliberate, like Uber, you know, we're going to start in San Francisco and go to New York and L.A. or whatever, or like Facebook. We're going to start at Harvard and go to Yale. But we just don't have anything like that. And I think I've pretty much given up on it. So I don't know. Could be foolish, but. it's So it's something more like uh, you should chase the vibes or like in your particular context, it's better to chase the vibes and then try and like, you know, be very like, you know, maniacal, methodical and, and segment these things out and go from there. Yeah, we've started to become more opportunistic about uh, just people, basically. And it's like, who are the people who we know, who know us, who value our audience, who are wanting to write or, you know, create content of some sort, yeah. who uh, we, we, let's try and make sure we're in the conversation with all those people and let's try and understand uh, what their goals are and, and let's make sure as we keep going that our system is basically coherent and our offer to writers is one that gets a decent portion of those people to like say yes, basically. Um, and um, I think we can kind of keep expanding that way. The bigger rate limit on us right now is um, like basically support structures for those writers. Gotcha. Because a key part of the trade, like the value prop to writers is basically like the defensible thing I think is um, 
like audience. But then there's also like you want, you know, editorial support. A lot of people do. If you just wanted right. the audience, maybe you're willing to do one post with us. But are you really going to like want to do a post every week with us? Like in entails some sacrifices of having a little bit less pure independence. It helps if you're like, you know, I would love an editor. And a lot of people do. Like a lot of the best writers really love the relationship they have with their editors. And so, but that's tough because as an editor, you have a very limited bandwidth for writers. Right. So, you know, we recently hired an editor and like we're figuring that whole thing out, but that just takes a lot of time and we don't have a lot of experience with it. So we're trying to, um, those are kind of the rate limiters on us more so than like topic identification or something like that. Gotcha. So it's really like uh, it's support for the it's not so much the audience. You, know, you can solve the audience problem, but it's like, how do you scale up things like editors when, you know, that just takes it just takes takes a lot of time yeah. and you have to have manpower to kind of do that. That makes sense. I want to keep talking about strategy a little bit. I want to talk about uh, venture capital. Mm-hmm. Uh, you wrote a piece which I, I really enjoyed. Um, and I have this general question about it is in general, should people be more kind of skeptical or uh less willing to go out and try and raise venture capital. It's kind of the the highest status thing to do in tech. You know, you have an idea, you go out, you raise capital from one of these top quartile firms, and that's kind of like a badge of honor, right? And um, it, there's some sense in which it's like a Keynesian beauty contest. And if you get one of the top firms to get your mark, it's easier to hire. It's easier to, uh, you know, uh, raise money in the future. There's all these, these positive signals that go along with it. Um, but there are some downsides. There's dilution. There's, um, you know, there incentive alignment can be a problem um so can you talk generally about just just venture capital and, and how founders or people trying to start companies should approach it yeah i mean i'll preface it with i really can't tell anyone what's good for them right I, like in most of the post is like uh here's how my perspective has changed over time in case like me you kind of feel lost right which like i did for a while um so i i you know, there's like debates that break out in Silicon Valley all the time over like, you know, how hard do you really need to work? And like, if you're not working weekends, you're going to fail. And someone else is like, this is toxic. Never join their company. And it's like <laughs> that, you know, I'm not really interested in like right, right. sparking the next iteration of that debate. Like if you want to work weekends, amazing. If you don't also yeah, amazing, I'm glad fine. that there are options for different, you know, people to do different things. Um, so for me, the way my thinking has evolved is I kind of had this realization that I I had this whole set of like aspirations and this whole framework, this whole kind of like consciousness almost that is, you know, the saying like the medium is the message. Like the, the medium is like spreadsheet math about risk reward return profiles for like giant PE funds and, and funds of funds and LPs and stuff like that. And the message is venture capitalists and 20 somethings who want to like make a dent in the universe in this oddly really specific way of like the kinds of things that can like create a uh, really great 10 year risk adjusted return profile when you batch them in lumps where, you know, nine out of 10 will fail and one will succeed. And it's like, how funny is it that there's like an entire generation of people who like the thing they want to do just so happens to line up with like this spreadsheet math. It's like wild, you know? And it's so like for me, it's less like, it's a bad path. And it's more like, did I consciously choose the path or did I get caught up in what I didn't even realize was content marketing to create like that main organizing principle of aspiration in my life? You know, it's crazy. And so I think the more that I thought about what kind of company I actually want to build, I realized, I think there's a lot of ways in which it's not 
that aligned with venture capital. And we raised some money and we told all of our investors this before we raised it. But basically we're like, look, you know, odds are we won't do it, but our goal is that this is the last company that we ever work for and that we keep compounding it for like a really long time. And the key reasons why something would become not the kind of thing that the founder wants to work for anymore is usually when it really stops like being fun and um, they feel like the, you know, it's sort of like, Frankenstein has grown up and left the house and you like can't stand to see him anymore kind of because right. there's like all these people and you don't even know what they do. <laughs> and it's like yeah. founders, like the relationship with their companies is like really weird. It, it's like when you have a child and like they become a teenager and like they hate you and you kind of are annoyed by them and then they go to college and that relief. But then there's yep. the thing in real life where like, you know, you sort of like grow close together, like again, at some point after you've gotten some more distance and you can have like an adult relationship with your kid. But like founders don't usually get that with their, with their companies. They just kind of end up being weird and like fading into the background. And there's like these right. weird, bitter feelings. And like, I don't want to feel that about this company, especially because I, th I think it was easier to think about every this way. Cause it's like most like, Okay, basically we're a magazine at some level and we're like trying yeah. to be a fancy technology enabled internet magazine, but like, you know, basically a magazine and like, look at magazines, like their like lifespan of them is long when they work. Right. And there's like this very Lindy thing about them. That's like the New Yorker and the Atlantic. It's like weird that it just so happens that the like really interesting magazines today were created like over a hundred years ago. I, I think that it's like, there's something about looking at the DNA of similar types of things and looking at the lifespans when they succeed and being like, okay, like wh why is that? You know? Um, and I think it's just cause editorial institutions, like there's something about the way that they function that makes it have longevity when it works. And, um, so anyway, I just, yeah. Like, is that a fit with venture capital? Like, not really. Like, I actually do think it could be pretty big. Like if you think of our TAM as the business section of the bookstore, like that's a that's pretty big. good ambition. We, we charge big, yeah. $200 a year. I don't know like what the top 1%, 5% most ambitious like workers, like vaguely kind of like in technology. Like it's like, I don't know. It just feels like it could be big. We can move beyond technology potentially. Like we could also like sell more producty type things or course type things. We can build technology. We build our own platform. Like there's a lot that we could do. And it's like cool to me to imagine this sort of like empire that could keep compounding and can be weird. And we can spin off weird apps and like we just own it all. It's like cool to me, like Berkshire Hathaway. It was like this textile thing that now it's like, look at what it is. It's like, I think there's something really underrated about building for uh, like kind of like a long-term compounding empire type thing rather than building for like a 10 year risk adjusted return port to make a portfolio math thing work. And it's just like, yeah, I just don't actually really want to do that. I want to like, like, I like working with Dan. I think this is a good structure. Let's just like see how far we can make it ride. And if that's the time horizon and that's the goal, then it's, yeah, it's just different from, from the VC model. And it's like, the weirdest thing is it's like for a long time, I was like, is this just less ambitious? Am I doing a lifestyle business because I'm not actually ambitious? Like, I think in some ways it's more ambitious. Like, you know, like I still think it could be big and I also want control. So how about that? You know, <laughs> like, and I want to keep doing it for a long time. It's like, I don't know. It's weird that it's like gets brainwashed until being like less ambitious. So, but you know, I don't, I'm, I'm still working it through. That's like why I wrote the thing is because I don't fully, it, it doesn't feel right to me to like totally reject VC either. Like I have a lot of respect for, for VC still. And I, I think there's a lot of really long-term oriented VCs and in a lot of ways, they're just as much a function of like, uh, it's not like VCs conspire to brainwash founders or whatever. Like the VCs themselves are a part of the system that it's like, these are just like, uh, you know, 
economic models that work tend to proliferate narratives and stories around them and then people get attracted to them and it's not, you know, whatever, like it's fine. But um, right. yeah, I don't know. It's just cool to also try different things, I guess. Man, I, I really love that. Um, I have so so many ways I want to go with this. Um, so I'm going to try to try to keep them all tr- uh, on track in my brain. Uh, well, here. Thank you first. That means a lot. Yeah, no, no, I, I really do. Um, uh, first off, I, I love that that idea of, of trying to build a media institution that lasts a really long time. Because one of my favorite things to do is actually I've been working back through the Atlantic catalog from the beginning. Oh, amazing. It starts in like 1848 and they have it all online. Yeah. And so you can just read like, you know, Henry David Thoreau in the Atlantic, you know, just like it's just because I've got, you know, the Atlantic right here, you know. And, and so, yeah. you know, I've got the most recent one. And so I, I have this context of like, wow, like this institution has been around for a while. I, I get to see how people were actually talking about historical events in the period instead of trying to read like what people think about it now. Um but I, I so I, I really I really enjoy that just that approach, um, and it, it reminds me of an interesting conundrum I have seen in a lot of places, uh, a lot of startups, and, and you know I, I won't name any names or anything, but I, I've just seen this when I've when I've talked to people, and it's very common. I think most places work like this. It's like uh, you kind of start something and then you put the story on top of it. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So you try it. You, yeah. so you kind of backwards justify like why you exist instead yeah. of like for you, it's like, well, like we want to go do this thing. Uh, we can't really think of anything else that'd be better. This would be awesome. This would be the coolest thing to go do. So we're gonna go do it and it's gonna be difficult. It's gonna take a really long time, but you know, it, it's gonna be awesome instead of like, well, you know, we want to go make a bunch of money. So we're gonna go raise VC and then we're gonna figure out some story that fits on top of it. Um, does that make sense at all? And does that track onto like your vision of like reality at all or things you have experienced? Yeah. I mean, uh, have you, have you heard of the book elephant in the brain? Oh, yes. Yes. I love uh, Robert Hansen's and uh, Kevin Simler. Yeah. The idea is like consciousness is like the PR department of the brain and like behavior is actually the board of directors. And and you think that consciousness is the board of directors, but like really you, your concept of what you are is just the PR department. And so the board of directors passes down all sorts of pro-social justifications for actions. But actually there's like a lot of other stuff that drives it. That's like more just like cold, hard, like survival reproduction type instinct stuff. And, um, so I don't think that I am any different from any VC backed founder in this way. Like maybe we just like, you could tell a different story, right? That's like, they weren't good enough for VC. So they went for something easier. And then they told a grandiose story about it to make themselves feel better. Like that also in a way is, or could be true. Um, and like, I don't know, like it's, I, I think that, um, but I basically believe that, like, I, I basically believe that, um, just reflecting and like a sort of like uh, trying trying to get to like a neutral meditative state about like behavior. It's sort of like we just sort of do things, and then when yes. we have to talk about them, we just sort of say things, and it just <laughs> kind of comes out, you know. And it's like we want it. We we struggle to become premeditated about things and to be intentional and thoughtful, but it's like, uh, you know, swimming upstream kind of like mostly just behavior flows and and words flow. And it's just kind of like, yeah, things come out. So, um, I definitely believe that, but I also believe it applies to me. (laughs) So, uh, that's great. Well, I, I do think, I, I think you can parse that out. And I think there are good reasons to do things and there, there, there are bad reasons to do things. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of like tech is driven by this like mimetic desire to, you know, be Steve Jobs or something like that. And uh, it, it, it's, it, it's quite interesting. Um, 
you know, we had Delian on the pod recently from Founders Fund, and, and he had this idea that you should only start, you know, a company because it's going to be very difficult if you can't think of anything else. Like, like you just have to do it. You're sitting in the shower. Um, you're like, man, like, this is a great idea. I have to go execute this. Um, it, this needs to exist in the world. Um, is that your do you think that's a good framing for thinking about like when to start a startup? And, and did you have a, a similar path to starting every? Yeah, I think so. I I don't know how like useful that is as advice, but I think it's basically true, if that makes sense. Gotcha. Like, Cause I remember maybe not actionable. Yeah. Like I, when I was in college, I thought I wanted to like be a philosophy professor or something. Yeah. And I had a professor who I really liked and I did like a, you know, like special classes with her or whatever. And I was like, I think I want to do this. And he's like, so he said the same thing. Only do it if you have to, because it you sucks. <laughs> and, um, it's weird because it's like, did, does, did him change saying that change the fact that I didn't do it? Or like, was I really never going to do it? You know, like, and then like with starting companies, maybe a lot of people need to start a company to figure out that they don't have to, you know? Got it. And like, I do think it's basically right though, but I think kind of like people are going to do what they're going to do, you know? And like, if you sort of feel inclined to it, but you're not sure, like, I mean, sure, make sure that it's not, like, going to be ruinous for you economically or socially or whatever. But, like, within the parameters of that, like, give it a shot. Like, you know, take it lightly. Like, don't don't get over your skis, like, ever for any reason, including with crypto investments or whatever else. Like, just general good life advice is don't get over your skis. But, like, try things. Yeah, absolutely. Even if you're not. You know, I, I feel like that advice could make people kind of, like, freak out a little bit. Like, do I really right. have to? I don't know. Like, I'm also liking other things. Cause like, yeah, I also like other things too. Everybody likes multiple things. Um, so, um, and then, yeah, in terms of how I did it though, definitely it's like kind of, um, there's something that I, I need to like be doing something creative. I think there's a lot of different forms that could take, you know? Um, but I always, uh, I like to just like, I kind of have like an ADHD, like when I'm in the zone, I'm really in the zone type system thing going of like how my brain works. And, uh, yeah. So I think entrepreneurship is one good outlet for it. And there probably could have been others, but I'm glad that I landed on this one. And I think that like, you know, if you roll the dice of like my upbringing and in, in DNA or whatever, a bunch of times, like most of the time it would probably land on something related to like entrepreneurship. That makes a lot of sense. Um, that, another question I had from that, the, uh, you know, when we were talking about building this kind of long-term institution, um, do you think, uh, and it's the strategy question, it's a strategy question. I, I had a call recently with someone, you know, and, and they were talking to me about, you know, this podcast and, mm-hmm. you know, they're asking me about the growth rate, you know, how big is the audience, et cetera. And, you know, they're a pretty smart person, they're a pretty talented person. And, um, you know, they, they start doing some calculations in their head and they're like, wow, you know, man, well, it's going to take you like 15 years to get to the size of Joe Rogan at your current rate. And I was like, man, that would be awesome. Only 15 yeah, right. years, you know, like that's, that, that's really cool, man. Like, and yeah. he's like, you know, this is like very bad, you know? And, and so I, I do wonder um, if there's this weird thing. He in thought tech he was where, delivering you news. Like you have cancer or something like that. Like, yes. I really hate to tell you, but I did the math and it's going to take 15 years for you to become like one of the most <laughs> the popular, biggest. influential thinkers on the planet. 15 years, yeah, 15 years, you know? And I was like, wow, only 15 years. Like, I would have yeah. guessed like 50, you know, um, but there is this weird thing about growth rates in Silicon Valley where yeah. people, you know, if it's not doubling every, you know, couple of months, people are kind of, you know, they kind of start freaking out. 
and think it's not a hyper, you know, it's, it's not hyper growth and that's a bad thing. Um, do you think there is alpha in just being more patient, like over a longer period of time and being consistent? 1000%. Absolutely. If anything, I think that's like one of the main general themes of alpha in the world right now is just, and probably always is like, if you're willing to be long-term and, um, I do definitely think that there's a lot of types of things where based on the type of thing it is, if it's not growing super fast, like you might want to make a change, but that even exists within the framework of a long-term thinking of like, okay, I'm going to do like several bets and I'm going to actually give each bet a solid try. And I have confidence that I'll, you know what I mean? Like even with that is it only works within the context of long-term thinking. I think, um, but yeah, like if you have a social app and you like launch it and you seed it with a bunch of users um, and there's like some cool people using it and you kind of like it and then it like grows a little bit, but not a lot. And like people aren't really posting on it that much, like right. based on the type of thing it is like, yeah, like you're not. That's, that could be a problem. That could be a problem. But I mean, yeah, things like the flywheel of trying to build um, like an audience and an intellectual like, you know, catalog of stuff is like really long. Like, I don't know how long I've been writing stuff on the internet, but like I was writing a lot on, you know, Substack before we launched our own platform before Substack, I was writing a lot on medium. I, you know, before medium, even I like had blogs and all that kind of stuff. Like it's been sort of like habitual and, um, and, you know, I've been tweeting like the, the whole time basically. Um, and then it's like, you know, the, yeah, I'm still just like kind of chipping away at the thing and it kind of keeps compounding a little bit. And sometimes you can find unlocks that are like, uh, you know, new like levels within the overall long term gotcha. thing. And I think the far bigger risk to focus on is not to take a linear growth rate from the past, like, you know, six months and extrapolate it 15 years. To me, that makes no sense because there's <laughs> two things that happen. One is plateaus happen which is maybe you get bored. Maybe the whole yeah. thing you're talking about is not interesting to the world anymore because like the right. world has moved on to like whatever because tech's not cool anymore. Or like maybe the whole, you know, there's like all sorts of reasons over a 15 year time horizon for plateaus. Um, but to, the most important is the like you get bored one. And then yeah. besides plateaus, there's all sorts of spurts that are that create non-linearities. Maybe, um, you know, the like Joe Rogan invites you on. Maybe yeah. like people, people go from zero to like, you know, like who, who had heard of Lex Friedman like four years ago, you know, right. like, so it's, it's just, it's, it's a kind of empty way of thinking both ways. Um, if you're applying it out that far, but that being said, it's a, it's a useful impulse in certain contexts. I just think this context, it's not the, not the move. Right, right, right. Not the move. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I want to talk about, you know, growth kind of compounding over time in, in writing, um, You've written a lot over a long period of time. How have you thought about improving yourself as a writer or have you done that consciously or has it not been conscious? I think a lot ends up not being conscious. That is most valuable, but there are some things that are conscious. And the biggest thing is my subjective experience of the process, like the, the feeling of when I'm actually doing the writing, like when I'm sitting down and typing, how does that feel? Um, and my subjective experience of I hit publish and then like, how do I feel about that based on the data I'm seeing and the reactions I'm seeing? Um, I basically was uh, good enough to have some stuff be like a little bit of a hit, but not good enough to do that every time. And so it created this slot machine thing where um, I was just like chasing the reaction from audience and writing itself was absolutely miserable because I'm like, 
it's like the process of pulling the slot machine lever, except it's really hard and complicated. And you have to think a whole bunch, you know? Right. And so that sucks because you're just waiting for the payoff the entire time. That's like the only reason you're really doing it is like, are people, yeah. is this going to go viral? Are people going to love it? And, and then it's really miserable because a lot of times it doesn't like more often than not, it does, but sometimes it does. So you keep doing it, you know? And it's like, ah, it's like that just sucked. And so I got really burnt out. Um, and had to kind of re-architect my whole uh, like emotional system almost for writing. And I think putting that on a different foundation has been the most important thing. Um, and uh, it's enabled me to learn all the other types of lessons with like storytelling or how to write a good title or whatever else that, um, you know, are the things that make the thing more likely to succeed, but there it's like this meta thing or this foundational thing that is like kind of the, the conscious effort. And for me, the big thing was, um, try and figure out how to actually enjoy writing. Like it's the goal. Like when I'm typing people have, there's this book, uh, big magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. That was really, really good. And really changed my perspective on this. Uh, she was basically like, there's this whole famous genre of like artists complaining basically about like how, how devastating it is and how difficult it is and all this stuff. And it's like, what use is that actually like subjected to the question? Is it useful? It's to not. be that way, to feel that way. It's not fucking useful. And so, and why does it exist? Cause like, yeah, I mean, it can be hard. And when it does feel hard, maybe it feels good to complain or something, but like what's actually useful to doing good work. It's actually to be able to do good work. It has to be sustainable in order for it to be sustainable. It has to be probably enjoyable or pleasant to some degree. Otherwise you're going to like want to run for the Hills and maybe it'll be prolific for like a span of couple years, but you're not going to be able to do it for a long time. So yeah, it's, and it's hard to say even, even just realizing that the whole, like, uh, you know, uh, suffering artist prototype is kind of a bullshit thing. That's like not very useful. Um, that honestly just helped some just looking for like how, like I should have fun. Like I can have fun makes me loosen up a little bit and have more fun. So that helps. And then I think, um, approaching it kind of like approaching writing with a sense of spaciousness and like, uh, any one piece is I'm curious to see how it'll go. And when it goes well, I can view that with a little bit of bemused detachment and some pride for sure, but a little bit of kind of like, huh, interesting that that one did well, you know? And when it doesn't go well, be like, oh, people didn't like that, did they? You know, kind of like the uh, back to the future, like your kids didn't like that, but like <laughs> your parents are, or whatever, like that thing, you know, I, I screwed that one up. Your parents, your kids will like it or whatever. Anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, you get it. Uh, you know, just being a little bit like, huh, that's interesting, you know? And like, it doesn't really like deeply reflect on me. It like reflects very shallowly on me because I'm going to keep going for a while probably. And so any one thing is like not a huge deal. Um, that to me is the most important lesson. And then that creates the platform for all of the specific skills, like what kind of topic is good? How do I write a headline? All that kind of stuff, which makes the actual writing do better. Gotcha. Gotcha. So but it's another le lesson about, you know, if you want to do this type of thing, like, like creating, it seems like you need to be patient and you need to find a way to make it interesting so you can stay in the game long enough so that you can have some, some upside. Yeah. They've done these great studies with artists and it turns out one of the biggest predictors of long run success is, you know, how widely your work gets distributed because it's very difficult to tell which gallery actually feeds up to larger galleries. Oh, um, so yeah. it's like, if you're more pro prolific, you, you, you have a much better shot at and, and so that, that's very, very, it's a very interesting kind of insight there. Oh, interesting. I need to see that. So that's cool. I think about that kind of stuff all the time. Or like sort of like the politics of art or whatever. Cause, um, I like have this theory basically that a lot of people who become really big, like creators or whatever, like they kind yeah. of, they get a break, right? Like, and it's not yeah. necessarily just one, maybe it's a lot of little breaks, but like, it's really hard for something to be 100% like 
you know, just driven by the people, right? Usually what happens is like Ben Thompson, for instance, daring fireball, John Gruber, huge part of Ben Thompson's success. And he'll, he'll tell anybody that. And it doesn't, it doesn't take anything away from Ben Thompson because he wrote stuff that was so great that, uh, John Gruber wrote like a glowing review of it. Like, you know, how many people does John Gruber write a glowing review of? Not that many, but also it drove a huge amount of readers to Ben Thompson that then kind of like, you know, helped snowball or whatever and, and kicked it off. And I mean, kind of to tie it back to every, that's what we hope to be able to do at some level for people. Um, and then for myself, I think about like, you know, it kind of sucks, but it's, yeah, it's like, how do I get my writing in front of like specific people? Not just like make it right. go quote unquote, go viral. Cause if you have yes. like 10,000 retweets by like, uh, you know, but not one from like a kind of tastemakery type person, like what's it worth, you know? Right. Um, and I, it feels a little icky to me in some ways. Cause I don't want to be like pandering or whatever, you know, right. but like, it does sort of feel like, I don't know, maybe people who are really good at this kind of stuff, like find a way to like make the right kind of friends. <laughs> you know? Right. And like, I, maybe I should like do that better or something. I don't know. I, it's an unformed thought. Right. It, it's a, uh, it, it's a very interesting game, uh, balancing these things. I I'm curious, uh, when you're trying to pick a topic, you mentioned you've gotten better at that over time. Can you, you know, put it into words what it is, or is it just kind of a taste where you've gotten like enough exposure to really good things over a long period of time? It's kind of this crystallized intelligence thing where you yeah. can kind of pattern match what's good or is there, are there any heuristic heuristics you've kind of developed? I definitely, I definitely have a heuristic and, um, I even made an acronym out of it, uh, (laughs) which is kind of lame, but it really helps me. Um, but I will say, uh, knowing the name of the thing does not equal knowing the thing. And like, you can like, so, um, I literally just earlier was talking to a friend of mine who's like amazing at Twitter. And she was telling me like a, a, a principle of like making a tweet good. And I was like, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. And then we decided to workshop a tweet. And I started, she's like, no, 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 no. And then she fixed all the stuff wrong with it. And I'm like, oh, I knew the name of the thing, but I did not know the thing, right? Right. So the acronym helps, but it's like the whole like whatever, like being able to actually apply it is extremely, extremely hard. And I still have a really long way to go. And I don't think necessarily that the acronym that I have come up with is the end all be all. But basically, it's I call it STIR, S-T-I-R. And I want to add a C, but I don't know how to make it into a word. I haven't actually Sturk. tried that yet. Yeah. STIRK. Yeah. So uh, surprising, true, important, relevant. And the, last, the C that I'm kind of adding recently is cool. So surprising, is it has to violate an expectation you have. And there's an interesting theory about like how the brain works. That's basically like we're on autopilot. Our brains are hallucinating predictions all the time. And every so often something is like violates our neural net prediction of like what things should probably be based on what things recently were. And that is like, there's like these like, you know, dopamine markers of like, holy shit, what's that? Something different, like pay attention. Cause like could be risky, could be a reward, whatever. So the important is the magnitude of the riskiness or the reward, like something really bad or really good could happen to me because of this surprising new thing. Um, the true part is it has to actually be true. Cause I can tell you like some, fact that would be surprising if it were true, but you just might not believe it. You know, like I could tell you like, uh, DAOs are going to replace corporations. There will be no more corporations ever. It's the new evolution of human consciousness. And that would be surprising that it's like big if true, but like, you know, a lot of people are just going to see that and be like, bullshit. I don't care. Right. You know? And then relevant is like, you know, if, if I'm like, uh, you know, the high school version of me, like corporations, DAOs, what I don't care about any of that. I don't think it really affects me. Whereas if you could tell me, uh, 
I don't know what was cool to me, like in debate club in high school <laughs> in 2006. Um, but um, then that would feel more, more relevant to me. So it has to be actually relevant to your interests. And then the C, the cool part is, I think there are some things, this is specifically for virality, that are like all of the above, but they don't get shared very much because it doesn't really make me look that great to share it. So ah, gotcha. The gotcha. um the the Twitter friend who I was talking to earlier said that she had a tweet that was like, "Here's like uh, how to uh, pitch yourself as a guest on podcasts to 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 pitch people who have podcasts that you want to be a guest in their show." And it was really useful, practical information. There was some yes. counterintuitive stuff in there. It's important yeah. for a lot of people they want to be guests on podcasts, but who wants to share about themselves that they're like thirsty trying to be guests on podcasts, right. reaching out, pitching themselves? You want to be invited, you know? Like that's the cool thing. Exactly. And so like no one no one was really retweeting that for that reason. Um, and so it's not really cool. It's not, it's not cool to do that. Um, and so I think there's some social perception factor that is an, an additional lens to look at it through. And I do think that that actually shapes a lot of like, uh, it's, it ends up being very practical. Like we're working right now on a thing, basically teaching people the basics of finance and accounting. And it's like, is that cool? You know what I mean? Like, it's like, right. it's, it feels more cool to be like, here's like the surprising implications of Dolly too, of how it changes art like, or whatever. Wow. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like yeah. some new cutting edge thing or whatever. Um, but like, actually it's probably a lot more important for a lot of people to just understand how to read a balance sheet, you know? <laughs> and like, um, like, but you know, it's not cool. So, uh, these things affect there. It's like different things have to live in different parts of the funnel and like fit in different functions in the business. So that thing is not going to go viral, but we can charge for it and maybe have cool viral pieces that like say, also we can teach you accounting or something if you want. Uh, we'll see how that works. <laughs> and the utilitarian stuff there too. So that's, yeah. that's super interesting. So it's something like you, you have to consider how the other players in the game are going to think about like, like, Every, every player is thinking what every player other player will think about them when they like you know promote some other piece of content and a lot of yeah. people kind of miss that 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 thought but it's really important yeah i just realized the acronym could be sticker but like just s-t-i-c-r there we go sticker there we go we got it we saw solved it that, that'd be i can write a book post. called made, made to sticker with a made to sticker made to sticker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, i love that i love that <laughs> oh man um with kind of our, our, our last period of time here, I, I'd like to move on to um, some other pretty interesting topics that, that you've written on. Um, talking about tech, you know, what do you think is driving kind of the contraction in tech right now? And do you think this will be kind of a persistent thing going forward with just kind of lower valuations? You know, I think the the P for Coinbase right now is four. And, you yeah. know, it's like this is like this is this is I couldn't have thought of that, you know, probably five months ago. So it's, it's quite. Yeah, Totally. It's so funny because like back in like February, March, I was kind of like, ooh, like this is great, like buying the dip. And now I'm like, oh, you know, um, just illustrating that I don't really know what I'm talking about. And it's funny because I think around that time, Bill Gurley was tweeting like, forget those prices ever happened. Like, don't anchor on stuff from last year that has no relevance to this year. And it's like intuitively, psychologically, we all think we should. Like you look at a graph and you're like, yes. it goes down a little and then it tends to go up. So I want to buy it when it goes down a little, but like it, sometimes it goes down a lot and stays down. And like, if you look at a graph from like, you know, if you had invested in a company in like, you know, 2001, even if it's a great company, like I don't know how long it took for Amazon to like long get time. back to their all time highs, right? That they, that they reached in the dot-com bubble or, you know, whatever. Like how long was Microsoft underwater? How long, uh, like there, there's a lot of great companies that um, could be underwater for years. So, um, you know, it, it's not a bad opportunity necessarily to, to make some good like long-term bets or whatever, but you know, it's just, 
It's like be be willing to like <laughs> it could be a long time. So I don't know. Um, what's driving it is I can tell you what smart people say, but it's a really abstract, complex thing that's very distant from me and like the supply chain of knowledge. So like to summarize what I hear all the smart people saying, it's that um, you know basically a combination of there are genuinely a lot of great tech businesses. And when that happens, people see it happening and think, I want to do something like that. And so they want to invest and fund those types of companies and they want to start those types of companies. And um, usually what happens is uh, they keep doing that until it stops working. And, um, you know, usually it stops working way far after the point where it's kind of like, uh, well, like people realize it stops working way far after after the point where it kind of like actually got over over the skis. And so there was basically like a valuation bubble um, of technology companies generally because there are so many great technology companies, but like not all of the technology companies are great companies. Um, and, and, and the market wasn't very selective for a while. And it feeds on itself because as the thing keeps going up, then it looks like you're making money, you have more money to invest, right. you can raise big funds, and so it really can perpetuate itself for quite a while. So that is kind of like one thing going on. Then, you know, the backdrop of overall, like the credit conditions of like the zero interest rates and right. the like huge stimulus to the economy after COVID and all this kind of stuff. And like, I'm definitely no expert on, on all the... Um, macro issues there but um basically i i wanted to learn about it so i wrote kind of like a a summary explainer of like how does something go from like the fed changing their rate and like what is even that rate and like how does it affect other rates because there's not just like one interest rate like everybody can set i can lend to you at whatever rate you would agree to borrow from me at you know like i can it's like prices you know um so it's, it's not like the fed controls all prices they just control a price that then other prices take their cue from how does that work so i wrote a bunch of stuff about that but um it, yeah, basically it looks like for a while um, inflation has been rising and it continues to rise. And um, now we're at the point where it looks like consumer spending is decreasing, which means business revenue is decreasing. So it's kind of like the thing we all feared of like, okay, uh, when inflation gets high, we have to raise rates. People borrow less, they spend less, they spend less, businesses earn less. That means the businesses spend less, so people get laid off and other companies that sell or buy things to and from businesses, uh, they have less revenue and just kind of like this, this, uh, spiral basically. Um, and so I don't know what will change it. Um, the, at some point the fed will stop raising interest rates. Um, but like not yet. (laughs) So, um, it seems like a really different story from, uh, 2020 where there's this like non-economic cause of like the pandemic that just caused a lot of physical activity to stop, which had economic ramifications. This is like internal to the economy basically. Um, and so I think it's going to be, I mean, if it's similar to previous times, this has happened, it's going to be slow, like years, probably. I think we're looking at like the rest of this year will probably be gloomy. And then next year we'll probably start the year in the doldrums and maybe by the end of the year, next year, 2023, it'll start to feel better, but also maybe not. And also maybe a lot sooner. Like, I really don't know. But I think if I had to really guess, I would say the bottom will this is so dumb. I'm, I have no idea, but I, I'm just going to go ahead and guess early 2023. Gotcha. H1, okay. H1, 2023. That's my guess. That's but good. I really That's have good. no idea. Don't hold me to it. <laughs> All right. right. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, it's, it's wise, wise to self-reflect. Um, I, I'm, I, I'm curious, how do you think about building a, a business that, that can like last for a long time? I, I guess these, these kinds of forces, is it kind of just like trying to keep headcount, you know, low, everything manageable, kind of positive cash flow? Uh, what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, it's pretty much just that. 
the problem is basically there's a lot of like seemingly good reasons to not do that, you know? So right. it's like, if you are really, if you're really confident in your plan and you want to go out and raise more money and you want to go and start spending that money and you're kind of ahead of revenue, but it's fine because you'll probably be able to raise more, you know, I think that now it's really easy to have the mindset of, um, you know, we should stay sustainable, but it felt really dumb, you know, when everyone was right going back. out raising all these huge rounds. Yes. Now it feels a, a little smarter, but it's still a little bit like, you know, people are still raising money. Like you can go out and raise, Yeah, you can go out and raise money if you're like kind of our stage. Um, but, um, I mean, it's also easy for us cause we're like, like you can raise money if you're our stage, but it's hard to raise money if you're our type of company. Like we believe long-term it's a big opportunity and that we yeah. do more than just, um, uh, writing basically and, and including potentially software. Um, but that, uh, yeah, it's, it's not like we're building a notion competitor, which is like the kind of thing that a lot of people would probably want to fund right now. Very so, legible, very legible yeah, plan, yeah. you know, like execution. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, so yeah, I think it's, it's pretty simple. It's just, you know, be, be conservative and how conservative you should be is, um, hard to say, but basically the more that you understand about your business, the more risk you can take on. Um, so like if you have no idea and you just see the bank account balance and you vaguely can look at like how money's being spent, but you have no real model of what's going on, then yes. it's like, it can be really scary, right? Especially if it kind of fluctuates or whatever. But if you have a model that describes like everything that's happening and you're pretty good at predicting within like 10 percentage points, like revenue next month, then it's easier to like cut it a little closer to the line, you know, um, yeah. when you're trying to operate like sustainably through cash. So, um, it's been a really fun part of this for me is to just get a lot better at financial modeling. And like, we, we've gotten to the point where like we can decently, if, if you think about next month's revenue, it's a function of, okay, how many monthly people, uh, tend to renew, how, how many annual people are up for renewal and relative to what we know about that cohort, what percent of them do we think will renew? And how many new customers do we think we, we can acquire? And how much ad revenue do we think we'll bring in? And, you know, at the end of one month, I already, you know, bookings for next month are like done. So the cash component of it is like, you know, a little bit easier. So anyway, yeah, it's like you just have to keep track of shit, basically. Right. <laughs> um, and you can push it to the edge a little bit closer. But like, yeah, we don't push it that close. And we, we try and um, always, we've tried to be really conservative the whole time about cash and never, never dip too, too low. So you don't ever have to worry about it. That's that's super wise. Um, well, Nathan, I've got one one last question here, and I apologize, it's not on the outline, but but I do want to ask it. Um, that's okay. do, do you have any advice for me on this journey? Uh, you know, podcasting it's it's somewhat adjacent. It's not writing, but it, it's close. Um, I've been at it. You know, I guess this is right coming up right up on year two. Um, it's been a ton of fun. Uh, do you have any general advice? Any anything that you would you would impart? I mean, the most important thing is like keep doing what you're doing. Right. And like, I can say more specific versions of that. Like it's fun to talk to you. I feel like that's so underrated. Like there's so many podcasts where people are just like, but like you like smile and it's fun, you know? And so like, <laughs> it's, uh, that's important. Like just keep, keep having fun. Basically. Uh, I feel, I, I feel self-conscious like being like, you know, giving, giving you advice or whatever. I'm just saying, uh, stuff that I like about what you do. <laughs> right. Basically. Um, I mean, I'm curious, like, well, actually, first of all, like, what are you struggling with? Because advice for you is kind of like, I could tell you things that might be random mechanisms that could achieve random things, but like, I don't know, relative to what problems or goals, you know, like, does this That's pay your question. bills? Are you full time on this? No, no, this is just a, it's just a, 
it's a fun, I, I work full time at on deck. I'm just, um, this, this is a fun thing I do. I, I do it because I, I actually just, just really enjoy it. And, um, I get to meet like cool people like you, just all these really interesting people. I would never have any chance to interact with otherwise. Um, and yeah, I, I just have so much fun with it. I, I just, and it's just kind of snowballed from there. I would keep just doing that then. And to the extent, I mean, like, you know, you're full-time on deck, so you're not going to say, I want to quit my job to do this full-time, I guess. But let's just, I'm imagining someone, I'm imagining someone like you might. And if they did, not you, they, uh, (laughs) if they did, I would say, um, you know, I think the number one thing for podcasting that's tough is I don't know, and you probably know way better than me, um, how to sort of like, grow a podcast systematically for whatever reason we have had so much trouble growing podcasts i have so much fun doing them so we keep doing them yeah um like every keeps creating podcasts and like keeping podcasts going on this kind of stuff um but for whatever reason i find it much easier with writing for it to grow um yes. i don't know if that's because of how twitter works or whatever like something something about that um so i would say maybe be on the lookout for Twitter-esque opportunities and audio, like maybe Spotify, like maybe there's something that they do that's like you right. can actually reach new audiences more easily. Or maybe it's like uh, there's like a momentum thing about getting on the charts or whatever. But like basically right. finding some way to like get the audience to the critical mass where you can get the advertiser thing going right, right. and all that works. Um, and, and then, yeah, in terms of like paid subscriptions, which I know a lot better than advertising, that is a whole nother thing with audio that I'm like, I don't really know. So I don't have a lot of confidence, but I will say just the main thing is like, keep having fun. Cause you'll do it if it's fun, even if it's not, um, like, y- you know, uh, paying your bills or whatever else. And right. that's exactly what you're already doing. And so just like, keep doing it. Cause it's, it's working as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. That, that like episode by episode feeling you have while you're doing it and after you do it is like the thing that you'll remember more so than right. what the numbers were at any given point. Exactly, and, exactly. And, and and if you feel good about it and you keep doing it, then the numbers probably will get good at some point. Yes, yeah. yes. And I'm sure they already are because you have like amazing guests. I don't know your download numbers, but... Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's uh, I, I, One thing I will say about growth is... Um, I, I, I try not to, I really try not to look at it, but when I do look at it, it's hilariously linear. Yeah. So I, I don't know what it is about the, 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 you know, podcast in general, but it is hilariously linear. Um, so I, I don't know, I, it, but it, it's cool. It's cool. It's a cool platform. Um, Amazing. Yeah. A lot of newsletters, I mean, newsletters have, they have step functions and whatever, but they're linear too. Like a, a lot of too. media is just linear. I think, I think that's just kind of like, I, think it's true. I need to write about that. Like why is media linear? <laughs> You know, it, and it, why is technology exponential? Right, right. I, I I do have a thought that it is something weird to do with like a SEO. Like like mm. maybe it's just something like as your footprint just gets larger, right? You know, we have transcripts with the podcast, so you know it is like writing in some sense. So it is just like you're at some level, you know, it is like speeding up, but but very slowly, and that's because um, you're just footprint on the internet's getting bigger. But who knows? Who knows? Yeah. I don't know. This will, this will be fun to think through. Definitely, definitely. Well, um, Nathan, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really enjoyed this, um, getting to talk to you. Where can people find your work? Where should we send them? Uh, every.to is where you can find all of the writing, including mine. Uh, in every, and then I'm N-B-A-S-H-A-W on Twitter. Um, so you can find, that's just kind of like my little whatever. It's our chat room. It's the global chat room where we all hang that's out right. uh, <laughs> during the days <laughs> and nights. Awesome. Um so yeah, thank you so much for having me. This has been a ton of fun and uh, I'm, I'm excited for this and, and rooting for you and uh, definitely excited to continue following along as you uh, surpass Joe Rogan.
Oh, man. Years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's great. Well, well, thank you, Nathan. I really appreciate you taking the time. Cool. Special thanks to our sponsor, Bismarck Analysis, for the support. Bismarck Analysis creates the Bismarck Brief, a newsletter about intelligence-grade analysis of key industries, organizations, and live players. You can subscribe to Bismarck Brief at brief.bismarckanalysis.com. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Narratives. Special thanks to Donovan Dorrance, our audio editor. You can check out Donovan's work and music at donovandorrance.com.